Can somebody please explain to me why uh, the state of California is is still a state? I, I'm just, I'm wondering. I wonder it every day. I'm Pete Mundo. We're Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com, your independent Big 12 digital media outlet. Appreciate you joining us, being a part of the show. And before we dive into it, guys, please do take a moment out. Leave us a rating, review, subscribe, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. If you leave us a rating and review and send me a screenshot to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com, I will get a koozie, Heartland College Sports koozie, in the mail for you. So appreciate that. It would mean the world to to me and to us if you would do that. So thanks for doing it, guys. And uh, this is getting weird for college football. You're probably wondering, what's the Big 12 tie-in here? Well, here's the Big 12 tie-in. Classes have been canceled at all Cal State colleges, but now they're saying football may not follow. Football may not follow. Now, last week we were telling you how Big 12 universities plan to open up this fall, which gives some hope to, you know, football games happening. And this came a couple of days before Mark Emmert of the NCAA came out and said, basically, no students, uh, no sports. He said late uh, last week, quote, all the commissioners and every president I've talked to is in a clear agreement. If you don't have students on campus, you don't have student athlete uh, athletes on campus. That doesn't mean the school has to be up and running in the full normal model, but you have to treat the health and well-being of the athletes at least as much as the regular students. If a school doesn't reopen, then they're not going to be playing sports. It's really that simple. Uh, he also added that people will have to make a final decision in June or by the 4th of July. Well, then we find out that Cal State's uh, universities or colleges have decided, you know what, our 23 campus system, the largest in the country, will conduct almost all of its fall semester classes online. And that is terrible for college football. Now, hours after that, the California Collegiate Athletic Association, that's a group of D2 schools, announced that fall sports like soccer, women's volleyball, cross country would be canceled. That conference does not play football. But for Fresno State, State, San Diego State, San Jose State, those are the only schools uh, of the colleges that play in the FBS. They seem to have taken a more lawyerly approach, which stated that a small number of in-person classes would be allowed if such instruction could not be accomplished virtually and was considered indispensable to the university's core mission. Well, indispensable to the university's core mission could mean getting your doors blown off by Texas or Alabama or Oklahoma because you got to pay the bills for the athletic department, right? I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's a big deal. That's a big, we've talked about this the last couple of weeks. The fact that, you know, these teams that are at the lower end of the FBS level, they've got to play the Big 12 schools or the, I should say, Power 5 schools. They've got to play them to to make a couple of bucks and to make their athletic budgets. They've got no choice. And that's going to be a huge deal moving forward as we approach what hopefully is a 2020 college football season. There's no other way around it. Now, of these schools... Uh, None of them play a Big 12 school of uh, San Jose State, San Diego State, and Fresno State. None of them play a Big 12 school. But still, they play other Power 5 schools, right? I mean, a lot of them do. They're playing Pac-12 schools. Uh, You know, Fresno State's playing Colorado. UCLA is taking on San Diego State. 
Penn State is taking on San Jose State. So they do play major Power 5 games, which means if Penn State's not going to have that game against San Jose State, San Jose State's not cashing that big check. And then what does Penn State do at that opening? It's, it's going to create a total mess for the college football landscape, which is why I'm starting to believe the best thing to do If it's going to look like this, and if certain teams are not going to play football and certain states are not going to let you play college football, here's what you got to do. Just play the conference schedule, all right? You know, I don't know what the Pac-12 is going to do. The state of California is becoming a joke. I mean, it's been a joke for a long time, but it's certainly becoming a joke. I don't know what is going to happen uh, with the Pac-12. But if all the Big 12 states are going to be open and the universities are going to be open, And it's the same thing for the SEC, the Big Ten, uh, and the ACC. And the Pac-12 just, like, doesn't want to participate this year and wants to forego all that money because it's anchor state California is out of control. You know what? College football as a sport and the college football playoffs should not be held back because of the state of California. No way, no how. Should not do it. Uh, Don't want to see it. Now, what's interesting here is this ties into something That could affect the Big 12 team. So TCU plays Cal in week one. Now, Cal is not part of the 23 schools in California who fall under this umbrella. Um, They they are not in that system. But uh, who knows? I mean, they're talking this week about the state of California having to be shut down, uh, or at least Los Angeles County. This is Los Angeles County. Shut down through the end of July. What does that mean for the state as a whole? What does that mean for TCU playing Cal on September 5th? Well, apparently TCU is wisely looking at a backup plan um, where they could possibly play Alabama at Jerry World in week one. Why is that? Because Alabama is supposed to open up at AT AT&T Stadium against USC. But who knows if USC is going to be able to play. And if, you know, if USC can't play and Cal can't play because of the state that they reside in, then boom, there you go. TCU's already right there in Dallas-Fort Worth. Alabama's coming on over. That'd be a heck of a matchup, by the way. That'd be awesome, I think. Certain TCU fans, when I put this up on social media, were like, oh, no, 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 we don't want to play Alabama. This is awesome. This is good for your brand. You want these games. And, you know, it's not a knock on TCU, but it's not like one of those things where you were going to play Cal and that was going to kickstart a team that could reach a college football playoff and be undefeated. It's not going to happen, all right? I mean, I think the team will be better. They should be better this year. Another year for Max Duggan, Jerry Kill in the mix. Defense is always strong. Uh, you know, there, there's reason to believe, and TCU lost a lot of close games last year. There's reason to believe the Horn Frogs will be better. So just play the Alabama game if, if it's offered to you, if it's a possibility. And then if you win that game, I mean, you know, Gary Patterson's having a great couple of years recruiting. This only helps you. If you beat Alabama in your backyard at AT AT&T Stadium, uh, people are going to be clamoring, clamoring for sports at that point, and you get to slay the almighty Nick Saban and the Alabama Crimson Tide? I mean, the, the upside is so much greater than the downside. The downside is, you know, Max Duggan is deer in the headlights against Alabama's defense. All right? I mean, and... That's, that's okay. The upside is, you know, you're in a national conversation for a week after winning that game. Recruits are turning their heads. You know, all the 
five-star guys in Dallas-Fort Worth or in the state of Texas who might lead the state for a place like Alabama are like, whoa, uh, look at these guys up in Fort Worth. I, that's, that's, that's potentially awesome. Why would you not have interest in that if you're a TCU fan? Hey, it's great, right? And speaking of that, I mean, TCU just lands a five-star running back in the class of 2020, I meaning a guy that can play this year, Zachary Evans. This has been a weird, weird recruiting deal. But Evans was a top 20 recruit in the nation by 247. And he's the first five-star recruit to choose TCU in the modern recruiting era. Justin Rogers, the uh, former TCU quarterback, was a top 50 player, was a four-star guy. They picked up a top 20 player in the nation. TCU's recruiting class is now in the top 25 for 2020. Now, you're wondering why a guy who, you know, is in the class of 2020 just announced he's going to TCU when signing day was how long ago now? Two, three months ago now? So, weird deal. He signed with Georgia during the early signing period, uh, but was released from his national letter of intent. After that, LSU A&M became the frontrunners. He went to both programs last fall. Um, He was supposed to announce his decision during the Under Armour All-American game. That never happened. And then quietly behind the scenes, Gary Patterson was working it, knowing that the guy came with some baggage. He was sent home before the state championship game by his coach after reportedly not giving up his cell phone. He did later apologize for his actions. So there is, you know, I mean, all in all, it's not a ton of baggage. But it's it's a little bit there, especially with how this recruiting has gone. Um, But, you know, he's going to go to Georgia, backed out. Now he's going to TCU. And this is a guy to Houston, Zachary Evans, who led his team to two straight 6A state title games, rushed for almost 5,000 yards in his career with 76 touchdowns. 76. He'll be able to compete this fall. I mean, that is, uh, that's a grab for Gary Patterson, man. And this is why there are certain Big 12 programs that did not want TCU in the Big 12. Because they knew they could recruit now at a high level and compete for some of the top players in the state, like Patterson is doing. Now he's got to start turning these things back in the wins. He did it early on in the Big 12, uh, you know, with Kenny Hill. He did it a couple years back. But the last two years have been very disappointing, especially when you had a first-round draft pick in Jalen Rager and a bunch of NFL draft picks on the defensive side of the ball. So got to now start winning these games. But a lot going on. We'll see. We'll follow it. Let's talk more about what college football might look like um, moving ahead with Matthew Postens. He's our Heartland College Sports contributor. He's next on Heartland College Sports Weekly. We now say hello to Matthew Postens, joining us on Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. I'm Pete Mundo. Uh, Matthew, the speculation is changing every day on what college athletics might look like this fall. We know now uh, California University, some of them at least, are shutting down through the fall semester. What that means for the Pac-12 at this point, who knows? Uh, For Big 12 fans, I mean, what should they be thinking right now, Matthew, about whether or not they're going to be able to watch their favorite team play college football this fall? I, I'm not sure what to think. I mean, somebody asked me on the radio on Monday what I thought, and I said, I, I think the season will start on time, but I'm not sure if it will finish on time. Yeah. Now we're sitting here a couple of days later, and it's like you said, it, it's such a fluid situation. Nobody really knows what to do. And I, I think when you hear Mark Emmert say, I can't really envision a situation in which we would play college football without fans. Well, that's not taking into account the enormous rights fees and the financial burden uh, and hit that all of these schools would take 
if games were not on television. Mac Rhodes at Baylor said uh, with David Smoke on their show on uh, Stick on 365 the other day that um, students not being on campus doesn't necessarily mean to me that we wouldn't play football. So there's a lot of, I wouldn't say disagreement, especially among the Power Five conferences. I would say there's a lot of people trying to figure out the best path because one of the things that we really feel like that medical experts really feel like we need is testing and tracing. And neither one of those things is up to snuff yet. And we're not sure if they will be up to snuff three months from now when the football season is supposed to start on August 27th. It's going to be very interesting to watch this unfold. And we're starting to see, Matthew, you know, um, some pro sports NBAs talking about bringing back the season, which kind of surprised me. Uh, Baseball is talking about starting in July. You know, I think one thing we know right about this virus is that, you know, if you're young and you're healthy, the chances of you getting hospitalized, God forbid, dying from it are basically zero. So is that justification maybe based on what we know today that could change tomorrow of saying we can play these games now, whether or not there's going to be packed fans is a different story, but there might be a way to play these games and, and save a lot of these athletic departments, Matthew, that we know are suffering tremendously right now. Yeah, I think the, there are two factors there. One, there's a lot about this disease that we still don't know. I was reading a piece over the weekend that said there's, there are at least 20 documented ways in which this disease manifests itself. Everything from the uh, stuff that we know about what it does to the lungs to what it does to your cardiovascular system. So there's a lot that we still don't know about this disease. The other piece is I was reading another piece over the weekend about how pandemics end. And they usually end two different ways. Either you cure the disease or you learn to live with it. And we may be starting to creep into learn to live with it category because we live with death every day. Mm-hmm. And this isn't to sound cavalier about it, but things like cancer, heart attacks, the flu, the real flu, things like that. We know how to combat that. We don't know how to combat this yet. But the one, one of the things that we do feel pretty confident about is if we have pro teams in a controlled environment where we can control who goes in and who goes out, there, that lessens the chance of this disease spreading as long as nobody has it before they go into the so-called bubble. That's part of what the NBA is talking about. It's part of what Major League Baseball is talking about. Uh, they have the same rights fees issues that college sports have. If they don't have a product, they've got to give the rights fees back, which means their salary cap goes down, which means the money they pay players goes down. So they have to find a way to make this work too. And the controlled environment where you have teams play in locations where only certain people are allowed to go in and out. Maybe fans don't get to show up, but they still get to watch the games on TV. The TV ratings go up. That helps the pro teams because it helps the TV networks, because it helps the ratings, because it helps their ad sales. So that chain reaction helps pro sports. Maybe college sports may have to adopt that same model, at least for the fall, as we try to figure out what to do with football. But it's all very fluid, and it, it's more than just about money. It's about health. It's about trying to keep people safe. And I have a hard time seeing how you can keep 90,000 people safe at a Texas-Oklahoma football game if even one person has that virus going into that game. Yeah, and, and we're starting to see some of this in the Big 12. Matthew Postens is our guest, heartlandcollegesports.com. West Virginia last week, uh, reducing coaches' salaries, furloughing 65 employees. We saw this at KU. We're seeing it across not just the Big 12, but all of uh, college football and college athletics for that matter, Matthew. You know, there's some talk about uh, TCU potentially playing in Alabama in week one. Paul Feinbaum announced this yesterday on ESPN's uh, Get Up show. And, you know, it's interesting because if these California schools – 
uh, aren't able to play or or host games, do you think they start looking for alternatives like TCU playing Alabama, or do they just say, you know what, we're going to do a conference schedule and just try to make it as easy as possible? What do you think the the best play is there for these uh, programs? It's an interesting question because California is kind of its own entity. In addition to the Cal State system that you mentioned, which includes Florida State, San Jose State, and San Diego State, you have the University of California system. That's Cal Berkeley. You also have an entire 65-team group of junior college teams that play college football at the junior college level in California, and they don't play anybody outside of the state. So they conceivably could play everybody in the state like they usually do, or they could conceivably shut down all of community college football in California this year if that's what they chose to do. As far as the impact here in Texas, the governor has already signed an order saying that if you come from California to Texas via plane, you have to self-quarantine yourself for 14 days. So let's just say USC comes to Texas for that game. They have to come two weeks before that game because they have to quarantine themselves for two weeks. That may not be a feasible thing. In that case, then a team like TCU could step into that game with Alabama. But uh, it's, you know, it, and that'd be a great game. I would love to see TCU play Alabama. I think that'd be a really interesting game. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there are going to be entities that are going to decide what to do at an umbrella level, and then you're going to see pockets of schools and conferences do their own thing. I could see a situation where the Ivy League shuts down for the whole year just because it's a different mission. And I think what we're seeing now is we've, we've talked for so long about how athletics to a certain degree kind of overwhelms the academic missions of these universities. We're now seeing them at competing odds. You're now seeing the California system saying what's best for our students is to continue to teach them online in the fall and not expose them to this virus. And that runs counter to the athletic mission, which is we need students on campus so they can come to games so we can drive revenue and we can have games and get them on TV and make money. It's really interesting. I cannot wait to see how this, I mean, it's, it's terrible that we're dealing with this, but watching this thing unfold is going to be fascinating over the next several weeks. Uh, the basketball season came to an abrupt end, and, and we know that because you were up here uh, in Kansas City where I'm based uh, for the Big 12 tournament, and you're all ready for the Thursday morning game between Texas and Texas Tech, and then they pull you off the court and say, uh, no Big 12 tournament. So <laughs> it feels yep. like, by the way, Matthew, doesn't that feel like a lifetime ago? It feels like a year ago. It was I, two months. feels like I should be getting on a plane now and going to the 2021 Big 12 tournament. I, it's, it's crazy. That was two months ago, almost to the day. Uh, you have been doing a great job putting up just uh, season reviews for each uh, Big 12 team and kind of what's, uh, what's to come in, in uh, 2020, 2021, when hopefully there is a normal college basketball season. As you look at this conference, uh, which team are you looking at and saying, you know, that, that's the team that, that we're not talking enough about uh, and, and what they might be able to do in this conference come next season? Um, I think there are a couple of teams that come immediately to mind. Um, you know, I think we're going to forget a little bit about Texas Tech um, over the course of the offseason because they took a they didn't take a hard fall from after going to the national championship game, but they did take a step back. Assuming Jameis Ramsey doesn't go to the NBA, which I don't think he will. He's in that testing the waters phase where he's trying to get his grade and figure out where he fits into the draft. Assuming he comes back, uh, they have one of the best recruiting classes in the country. They have the best recruiting class in the Big 12. They have two guys that could come in and make an immediate impact. Uh, they have uh, the UNLV transfer who wasn't able to get his waiver last year who will be coming off the bench. They have seven guys on their team who have average double figures uh, either at the high school level or at the college level, at the Division One level. 
they have the potential to be really, really good and challenge uh, Kansas and Baylor, I think, for supremacy in the conference. I think the other team that we really got to keep an eye on is Oklahoma State because they've got the number one recruit in the country coming in in uh, Cunningham. Uh, he's going to play immediately. Uh, he's not going to sit. He's a one-and-done guy. I think that's pretty clear. So he's going to come in and make an immediate impact in that program. But really, it's about how they grow those freshmen who were there this year. Avery Anderson, uh, Chris Harris, the Boone brothers. If they can bring along those freshmen in a way in which they can contribute more meaningfully and uh, uh, support guys like Isaac Likely and Yorane, uh, they could go from being a middle-of-the-road team in the, in the Big 12 to being a, a top four or top five team because they'll have the talent to do it. Matthew Poston's joining us here on the show for a few minutes. Matthew, I, I can't wait to get back to that point. I hope it is sooner rather than later because I know a lot of us are sitting here and, and wondering when uh, college sports and sports in general might be back. It's going to be really interesting to see how these next, uh, you know, couple of weeks, several weeks, couple of months unfold. Always great to have you on. Uh, we appreciate the time. Be well, stay safe. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Pete. Coming up next, final thoughts, wrapping up the show here on Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. Oh, man, here we go. I'm Pete Mundo. We're Heartland College Sports Weekly. Heartlandcollegesports.com is the site. And here's the headline from Ben Kirchival at CBS Sports. Six college football teams with championship caliber rosters that can return them to greatness. And two of those six teams happen to be in the Big 12. Of course, two teams that have had very different uh, recent histories, but do have one thing in common, and that is lacking that national championship. And Ben Kirchival has been in our show before of CBS Sports, and here's what he writes. College football at the FBS level is a game of haves and have mores. A few elite programs have more than everybody else, including success on the recruiting trail. Above all else, college football is an arms race to acquire talent on the road to a national championship. Entering 2020, there's a handful of programs capable of making a championship run in every, any given year based on the combination of talent, coaching, and development. And it's mostly the same group of teams. Occasionally, though, a recruiting outlier makes the most of its shot. The best example of this is Auburn in 2010. The recruiting math was fuzzier back then, but the Tigers had Cam Newton, who was a transfer quarterback. Well, let's take a look now at the teams on paper that are able to put together a championship season under the right circumstances from a talent perspective. Specifically, we're looking at teams who haven't played in a national championship game in a decade. Who was on this list? Florida. USC. Penn State. Texas A&M, and then two Big 12 schools, Oklahoma and Texas. For the Texas Longhorns, uh, Kirchhoff gives their blue chip ratio a 64%. That is basically uh, the benchmark is 50% for uh, blue chip talent, blue chip recruits on the roster. Texas is at 64%. He has their game changers as Sam Ellinger and Taquan Graham, and he writes about why they can win it all. Even though Texas hasn't won a Big 12 title, uh, let alone a national title since 2009, it still has all the resources to do so. Texas is a massive recruiting battleground state with no shortage of competition, but the Longhorns' blue-chip ratio remains one of the better ones among college football's elite programs. This season, they have a talented team with a few game-changers in key spots, including a veteran quarterback who puts up big-time numbers. 
What's holding them back, writes Kerchival? Underachieving has been Texas' biggest problem. Uh, no kidding. Thanks for the uh, <laughs> thanks for the update there. Uh, and I like Ben, but uh, yeah, no kidding. Underachieving has been a massive problem, the problem for the Texas Longhorns, not recruiting. Not recruiting. He says, one of the most glaring examples was a stretch of 09-17 when the Horns did not have a single offensive lineman drafted. The program was shed out of the 2014 draft. Um, but a more recent example came from the 2020 draft when none of the seven Texas-based players taken in the first round came from Texas or Texas A&M. The point being, Texas has not had a major issue getting blue-chip players. Rather, it's been turning them into title-caliber winners. Entering year four, Coach Tom Herman has to start changing that. Absolutely. I don't think Herman's in trouble, uh, but, you know, when you get to a Big 12 title game two years ago and then you uh, struggle by their standards based on what the expectations were last year, then, yeah, I mean, there, there is some heat there. There is some heat there, no doubt about it. Uh, now for Oklahoma. Now this is totally different, right? Because OU's been in the college football playoff four times. They just haven't won a game yet in the college football playoff. Here's what Kirchhoff writes. Their blue chip ratio is 62%, which is below. Texas is at 64%. Game changers, uh, Charleston Rambo and Kennedy Brooks, wide receiver, running back respectively. Future stars, quarterback Spencer Rattler, linebacker Nick Benito. Why they can win it all of all the teams in this stratosphere. The Sooners have been the closest to capturing an alluring title. Uh, obviously. College football playoff hasn't been good to them. 0-4 in the semis. But they played against some of the elite competition, including LSU a season ago. The gap's not that wide. What's holding them back so far, it's been defense. He writes, it was noticeably better last year under defensive coordinator Alex Grinch. And coach Lincoln Riley has put more emphasis on recruiting blue chip defensive players recently. Riley's a genius who is making the necessary adjustments and his time is coming sooner rather than later. Uh, I agree with that, by the way. I do think Lincoln Riley is going to get himself a national championship at some point. I, I just, I think he's that good of a coach and I think he's realizing he's got to have that defense locked down as well. Oh, you can recruit nationally as well as anybody in the country. Uh, kids want to play there. And until proven otherwise, I mean, this is OU's conference, man. You can't say Texas is that clear team that gives them a run for its money every year. I, they're not. You'd like them to be. It'd be good for the Big 12. But outside of two years ago, that has not been the case. So I thought this was an interesting list because it had two Big 12 teams on it, but you know, two Big 12 teams who have had very different uh, runs as of late. I'm Pete Mundo. We're Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. You guys keep being safe. Thanks, as always, for joining us, guys. Please do take a moment out and leave that rating, review, subscribe. It would mean the world to me if you would do that. We'll send you a free Heartland College Sports koozie if you do it. Uh, just send me a screenshot of your rating and review to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com, and uh, we'll get the koozie in the mail. Appreciate you guys a whole lot, and we'll talk to you soon.